And now, right to your hosts of Down the Garden Path, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing. where we discuss down-to-earth tips and advice while doing our best to help you seasonally manage your garden and landscape. I'm Joanne Shaw, owner of Down-to-Earth Landscape Design, and with me is my co-host Matthew Dressing. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Joanne, and good evening, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm Matthew Dressing, owner of Natural Affinity Garden Design. As landscape designers and gardeners, we believe it's important and possible to have great gardens, which are sustainable and low maintenance, and we want to help you make it happen. That's right. And we're really excited about tonight's show. So tonight on the show, we are talking all about tiny plants, but that's the book. That's, that is. Tiny Plants is the latest book from our guest this evening, horticulturalist and author Leslie Halleck. Over the next hour, we'll discuss the fascinating world of tiny indoor plants and inspire you to creatively get growing indoors. You can find Leslie's book on her website, uh, lesliehallock.com. I have a question for Leslie, and we would love for you to join the conversation. So if you've got a question about tiny plants, uh, we would love to hear from you. So send your questions to instudio101 at gmail.com. Yes. Um, A little bit uh, about Leslie before uh, we bring her onto the show. For those of you who are unfamiliar, uh, Leslie began her career in horticulture in 1992, where she worked and helped run a retail plant nursery while operating her own small gardening business. In December of 1998, she started at the Dallas Arboretum and Botanical Garden as curator of plants and then director of horticulture research. One of her specific duties included the creation of their nationally recognized plant trials program and gardens, design and plant selection for all the display gardens, plant collections management, teaching and website development. In 2000, Leslie launched Halleck Horticultural, which she operated in addition to her position at the Arboretum. For almost a decade, Halleck Horticulture has provided a variety of services to the green industry, including horticultural consulting, marketing and branding plants and development, as well as garden center design and consulting. Leslie has won multiple awards for writing, creative direction, and marketing from the Turf and Ornamental Communicators Association, including the coveted Garden Gardener Award for writing in 2017. Leslie, welcome to the show. Good grief. Did you really have to say all that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, if I didn't say it now, it'd be asked later. Yeah. You just tell him to go read on my website. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> we should have you're said very, that. You're very generous. It's a very <laughs> lovely introduction. I appreciate it. You know, it gets to a point after 30 years of working as a professional horticulturist that it just gets too tedious to list all of the things that you do. Mm-hmm. Really, I'm a big plant nerd, and that's what we're here to talk about tonight, <laughs> okay. right? That's yes. right. That's right. And even more importantly, Importantly, a ti- you've narrowed, you've niched down into being a tiny plant nerd. Well, so I that started way back when. And so if you do happen to pick up a copy of my book, Tiny Plants, and we can dive into this whenever you want to, I did include my tiny plant origin story at the beginning of the book. And so my obsession into the niche of tiny plants goes back a pretty long way. Um, you know, mid, mid nineties, uh, when I was doing research, um, in the rainforest down in Puerto Rico. So yeah, it it comes and goes, but this has been a a, a bit of a a lifelong obsession, if you will. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, why don't you just cut, like, I know I did read it because I read the the book, but uh, I don't know if you have a, like a little synopsis you can share with everybody, how you, uh, how you started on your journey with tiny plants? Gosh, well, you know, I've, I've been in love with plants 
pretty much my whole life. So I have a lifetime of plant and, and garden keeping experience. I actually started out in college as an art student. As you know, many of us in horticulture mix art and science. And um, after a couple of years, I thought, you know, I really need to change my major to something that, you know, after with all the pressure I was getting, that was going to be more serious and more lucrative, right? So I, I the joke was on everybody. I changed my major to botany. So <laughs> <laughs> changed to botany and then immediately started work, uh, working at, at a garden center called the Green Fiddler. So I worked for four years at that garden center while I finished my degree. And because I had changed my major and I had to jam up so much coursework in botany, I didn't have time uh, to do an internship until after I graduated with my BS before I went to grad school. So I ended up doing an internship with the University of Puerto Rico down in the El Yunque National Rainforest, and where I was lucky enough to get embedded. Um, and I was there doing post-hurricane research from Hurricane Hugo that had basically defoliated the entire rainforest. So there was a ton of researchers there looking at the effects wow. on, you know, what does that do to the regeneration of a rainforest, being that rainforests are so crucially important to our entire ecosystem, yeah. right? So, yeah. so that's what I was there doing. So I was there working on huge, I was doing the tree survey. So I was, oh, you know, wow. looking at 300 foot specimens of tropical trees, just massive. But my eye was always sort of, you know, keeping an eye out because I love critters. I, 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 I'm a herp enthusiast and I, so I'm always looking for frogs or whatever. My eye was already, you know, sort of, um, focused in on, on the little itty bitty tiny plants that were growing, you know, amidst all of these massive tropical, um, trees. And that's kind of what happened one day I was taking data, uh, in the rainforest, which was incredibly peaceful and, and wonderful and lovely. And I, I just happened to spot this little tiny speck of kind of pinkish magenta color, which you don't see a lot of at the ground level in a rainforest, right? You know, so mm -hmm. I, it was on this cluster of big boulders around this river that ran down the mountain. So I had to stop what I was doing and go investigate. And lo and behold, I, I had found this amazing little colony of lithophytic orchids, um, Lepanthes repestris. And I just, it blew my mind. You know, the, the flowers were, you know, maybe a couple of millimeters at, at best sitting on top of a tiny one inch leaf. And oh, I just, that was it for wow. me. Um, that was it for me. And, and after that, I really, I got into keeping, um, a lot of, uh, amphibians and reptiles, poison dart frogs, or used poison dart frogs for many years. And you have to build special enclosures for them, right? They're called vivariums. So when you blend your animal and plant colonies together, um, you have to build special vivariums and you need to find the plant species that work with those animal species. Mm -hmm. And so you end up diving into a world of plants that is sort of outside the norm, the normal, you know, purview of garden center shopping and, and typical house plants. You start getting into lots of really, really teeny tiny species, you know, that are maybe in the same genus as many of your common uh, popular house plants, but you've never seen them before. And so that, that was really how my journey started was, you know, obviously in the rainforest coming across these, these tiny species of orchids and many other plants, ferns, peperomias, you name it, and then building environments, you know, under glass with these species to create little ecosystems. And, you know, that, um, that, that fascination has never left me, you know, and I think as we all do, we, we go through phases, you know, we go through our orchid collecting phases, we go through our bird collecting mm -hmm. phases, we yep. go through, you know, whatever it is in the indoor garden, but, you know, I always come back to tiny plants and I develop a new tiny plant obsession every time I do it. So I, <laughs> It's, Every time you dive back in. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so now there are many plants that can be classified as tiny plants. And I know you mentioned, I, I can specifically say book page seven, or page 17, that you say you, you stuck to some basic definitions, like you group them into five or six, like larger groups, right? Yeah. So when I'm talking about tiny plants, I'm talking about genetically tiny species. So, you know, oftentimes you go to the garden center and, you know, they've got a terrarium plant section and it's a bunch of tropicals that are in two inch pots. But the reality is 
many of those species are not actually tiny species. They're just young rooted cuttings in a two inch pot that are eventually going to grow into a, you know, a mm-hmm. six foot syngonium or, or Riveta, you know, for whatever it is that you bought, it's going to get big. It's no longer a terrarium plant. So all the plants I cover in my book, tiny plants are truly tiny. So, you know, under six inches down to the teeniest, tiniest spec sized plant um, that you can really keep in small enclosures in true small terrariums or wardian cases. So, you know, that that's, those are the groups of plants that I cover and feature for you in the book. Now, all plants, be they big, medium, or tiny can fall into some of the categories I've outlined for you mm-hmm. on page 17. Okay. So mm-hmm. terrestrial epiphytes, hemiepiphytes, we get into lithophytes and chasmophytes. So basically those are categorizations of how plants grow in their natural environment, whether that is with a completely aerial root system, right? That seed of that orchid germinates on, on, right? The leaf litter of a, of a bark of a tree, and it never grows a terrestrial root system, right? Um, and a lot of the tiny plants that you grow are going to be epiphytes. A lot of the micro orchids that you grow are mm-hmm. going to be epiphytes. Um, and then you can get into sort of in between territory, uh, with what I call hemiepiphytes. Some botanists will still call them semi-epiphytes. Some will call them nomadic vines. <laughs> Essentially they're plants that can do both. They may germinate terrestrially in the soil. And then as they grow runners, they may transition to nomadic vines or epiphytic um, you know, vines with aerial roots, you know, uh, philodendrons, monstera, right? Um, a lot of begonias, you can, you can grow them, right? Uh, with a terrestrial root system, or you can mount them epiphytically and they'll happily grow that way too. So a lot of the tiny plants, especially the high humidity species, ferns, begonias, orchids, they're going to fall into that epiphytic or hemiepiphytic nomadic vine category, as well as a lot of lithophytes and chasmophytes, which are plants that grow on and in between rocks Mm, and other inert structures. Okay. So, you know, you have a lot of tiny carnivorous plants, um, African violets, believe it or not really fall into that category. So, you know, when you start to think about how plants grow in their native environments, you start to learn why sometimes it can be really challenging to grow them inside (laughs) (laughs) because they may be a plant that typically grows, you know, as a lithophyte or a chasmophyte with a very small root system with not a lot of media around it. Right. But high humidity. And then you take that plant and you put it in a relatively good sized pot with lots of growing media that stays really (laughs) wet and you can't figure out why you keep killing it. (laughs) Yes. 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 And in Canada with our, uh, with our furnaces coming on and uh, Mm -hmm. our air conditioners coming on and, you know, the the other half of the year. So it's uh, makes for a challenging environment, doesn't it? It certainly does. And so, you know, with a lot of tiny plants, certainly there are many tiny succulents, right. And cacti species that are, that are open air culture. And that is how I break the book down for you. Obviously I have limited space. So there's a million Mm -hmm. other plants I would have loved to have featured, but you know, these publishers, they only give you (laughs) a little bit of space and you got to squeeze it in. So I gave you two different chapters of plants, one for the windowsill, open air culture, plants that need less humidity and those that need to be grown under glass. So a lot of those really sensitive, tiny microorgids or higher humidity, um, little, the little peperomias or the little begonias, syningias, you know, those can go under glass. And so I've broken up, you know, um, those two groups of plants and a lot of the little epiphytes will fall into that grow under glass category. Excellent. Excellent. And there are a few different ways to grow under glass as well that you talk about, um, like, like something like the war, uh, Wardian boxes versus mm-hmm. the cloche. Right. Yeah. So one of the things I try to make clear in the book is that this is not a straight up terrarium mm-hmm. yeah. book. You know, there's so many great terrarium books out there. The last thing I needed to do was write another how to, yes. you know, terrarium yeah. book. What wasn't out there was an introduction to all of these actual teeny tiny species of plants that you can grow in a terrarium, but Mm -hmm. that you can also grow lots of other ways 
under glass or in your windows in your windowsills. So yeah, I go in the book into detail of sort of what how I define what's a terrarium, what's a yes. wordy encase, what's a cloche. And so, you know, the wordy encase is kind of where it started. Um, you know, the, the, the wordy encase was developed essentially to bring plant specimens back from all over the world on ships where they had to <laughs> survive yeah. for lengths of time. And so they were, you know, glass enclosures that held potted specimens of plants, but it could hold that humidity in. So setting potted specimens inside a wordy encase or under a cloche, which is like a bell jar, which could be as simple as taking a canning jar and turning it upside down, mm -hmm. but it needs to be over a potted plant, right? So mm -hmm. wordy encases and cloches are really awesome, easy ways to keep more sensitive, high humidity indoor plants, be they medium-sized or tiny, simply by placing the potted plant under glass. Planted terrariums are a little bit more complicated. You have to create the right kind of drainage layer, use the right type of growing media. It can be a little trickier to maintain the moisture. And most of the time people don't have enough light mm -hmm. on their terrariums to make things really happy. Or mm -hmm. they put plants like succulents and cacti, which never should be really in a terrarium in that situation. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, the alternate problem. Yes. Yeah, definitely. No, you do a really good job in the book. So a shout out to the book because I think you do a very good job, you know, for someone who's in horticulture, but I think it also makes it very clear for someone who may not be, who just might just like plants and would like to grow them in a different way. So Leslie, um, kudos to you. I think, I think you laid it out very well. Well, thank you. A lifelong obsession. Hopefully I was able to <laughs> convey some of that. That's always the trick, you know, is, is translating the horticulture science, you know, into applicable, easy to digest information and, and how to's and projects so that anybody can use it, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, that's what I wanted. That's what I try to do with all of my books and all of the classes that I teach. But this particular book is a little bit of a passion project for me because I just thought, you know, with so many people getting into indoor growing and houseplants, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of plants to discover beyond you know, Sansevieria, snake plant, you That's know, right. Pavos, right. Monstera. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love, I love the top 10. They're great. Yeah. My office is full of them, mm -hmm. but if you're really feeling nerdy, if you're feeling plant nerdy and you want to collect, it can be tough to keep collecting because those plants get a whole heck of a lot bigger than most people realize. Yeah. Yeah. They get a whole heck of a lot bigger. And so, you know, once that, that Monstera or that, this, you know, you're, you're, Monstera Deliciosa is taking up like the entire window, you know, it's hard to keep accumulating. So I'm also, I just think enabling people <laughs> to grow really large collections of plants in really tiny amounts of space by collecting tiny species, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think you demystify because I think it can be overwhelming to go to a garden center or a nursery and see all these plants and you just don't know what to do with them. And I think people do gravitate to the ones that they see in the magazine or whatever, right? Which are the snake plant and the, uh, you know, philodendron and stuff and not knowing what to do with some of these more unusual, especially tiny ones too, because I think people might be like, Oh, wonder how big this gets or what, you know, where would I put that? So I think, uh, I think it's great to focus and really niche down on, on something that's really um, not as well known. Right. Yeah. And I think, what I actually, so I, I basically tried to showcase some of my strategies. I'm look, I'm a professional horticulturist. So that means I spend a bare minimum of amount of time on my own plants and gardens right. because <laughs> I'm pretty much helping everybody else 24 seven. So yes. I end up being super lazy. Um, and you know, this is a do what I say, you know, not what I do situation <laughs> always um, yeah. with my clients and my students, you know, because I, you know, I kind of know, I know how far I can go out to the ledge with a particular plant, you know, yeah. I know how far I can go and I, and still be able to pull it back. Right. Whereas if you have less experience, you know, you don't want to lose that plant if you knew how you could take care of it better. So mm -hmm. yes, many of the tiny species that you might plant in a terrarium, people look at and go, Oh, that's too intimidating. Like that's going to be too delicate. That's going to be too hard to maintain. Mm -hmm. But by taking 
many of these species and growing them in pots and simply putting them under a cloche, putting them in a wordy case. I use one of my favorite things is to use the um, acrylic shoe box um, uh, holders. So you can buy, you know, for shoes, like if you're fancy and you like to buy fancy shoes, they make these (laughs) acrylic boxes with hinged lids on them that you store shoes in. They make the most awesome little um, sort of wardian cases, or I call them my jewel boxes because I do a lot of propagation in them, or I set little tiny plants, but I also have a problem with vintage wear, glassware, Mm -hmm. glass vessels, jars, you name it. Mm -hmm. So you'll see in the book, that's actually how I grow and display a lot of my tiny plants is I pot them up. They're potted in little tiny pots. And then I just sit them inside a glass jar with a lid a canister, a spaghetti jar. I, my favorite are my cool egg and mushroom jars. I've, you know, um, that, that are, that are vintage, you know, from the seventies, but you can go to any vintage shop or online or thrift store or anything, you know, flea market and find all these cool glass vessels that once you realize there's plants tiny enough to actually stay in them, all of a sudden it opens up a whole new world all the tiny plants that I have that sit inside glass vessels are actually some of the easiest plants for me to take care of because if I don't open that lid for a little while and that Mm -hmm. humidity stays in there, I don't have to really water very often. And if I leave and go away for a week or something, I don't have to stress about those plants. Like Mm -hmm. I do, you know, uh, smaller plants that might be out on the windowsills. So Mm -hmm. if you follow some of the strategies I give you in the book, I actually show you how to make it way easier to keep what would be considered much more sensitive, delicate specimens of high humidity plants. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, that those are all great, great tips. I, and really well done. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, I just, I am, am at, amazed by the book and I love that all the plants that you have in the book you have their cultural requirements and recommendations and a little write-up on it so it's it's a real foolproof way to explore uh, that world of tiny wonderful plants that like you said you see at a garden center or a plant shop and you're just like uh, I don't know if I can do that one it might mm-hmm. looks a little delicate uh but it really is is fantastic it really is fantastic. thank you and and when I you know again because I was limited on space if you if you look at each plant feature you'll see that I have a little box that says grow the same way for each plant feature and I've mm-hmm. given you a list of lots of other species um yes. that you can use similar techniques to grow them because I just obviously couldn't fit you know, a thousand All plants them, on the book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, for sure. I gave sure. you some main ones that I thought would be easier. Now, the thing about many of these species is that you are going to find, you're going to have to hunt a little harder for mm. many of them, right? Yeah. You're not just going to be able to go to any garden center off the, you know, wh- wherever you are and find all of these, you may find some of them, um, but you may need to go outside of your typical shopping routine. So I do have a whole resource section in the back of the book with a lot of my favorite growers that I buy lots of tiny plants from. So don't worry. I've, I've given you plenty of, plenty of sources. Good. And you do make a point of saying that you want to make sure that you're getting the plants, especially because some of them are rarer um, from, from reputable sources too. Right. So we'd like to kind of also agree with you on that. Yes. Well, I think as being professionals in the, in the horticulture industry, you know, we, we see what happens, you know, when plants, they cycle in and out of popularity, clearly we're having a huge boom of interest in houseplants and, mm-hmm. and tropicals right now. And, and, and with that comes risk because you have a lot of inexperienced growers getting into the game. You have a lot of people, um, importing right from outside mm-hmm. of the country and, you know, there are risks with, um, you know, pests and diseases and, you know, all sorts of things that can come in on plants that really haven't followed the right channels or that the, you know, the biosecurity um, hasn't been attended to, or, you know, maybe the growing facilities weren't clean. So, you know, the other thing is plant poaching, you know, that's become a really big mm-hmm. problem, you know, in the tropical world. And so, you know, you want to be thoughtful and mindful about who you're buying from. It's, it's very much like if you're keeping animals, herps or reptiles or fish, you don't want wild caught 
specimens. You don't mm-hmm. want people going out and harvesting these species to extinction. And, and I do have notes about that. You will notice on some of the plants, you know, I may say, you know, this is almost extinct in its native habitat, you know, baseball plant, um, for Rio obesa, that's, you know, some very common sort of cactus and succulents that we see all the time in the trade folks don't realize that they've been almost obliterated in their native habitats. So many of these plants. So, um, yes, you want to be mindful of who you're buying from, Mm -hmm. right. And make sure that they're, they're ethical and reputable in the trade. Excellent. That's great. Your sources section actually leads into a question from John. Okay. Um, Just quickly looking through it. I didn't see it, but you're more familiar with your sources. John says, hello, Uh, Can Leslie steer me in any direction regarding bonsai trees? So I think he's looking for sources and good information on them. That is a whole nother ball of wax. Um, Yes. Bonsai, (laughs) yes. Um, You know, I didn't include bonsai resources in here simply because, I mean, that, that is a whole nother, whole nother topic. But um, if you give me a minute while we're chatting, I will pull up a couple of links and throw those up in the chat for for Joanne and and Matthew, and then they can um, put those out for you guys. Excellent. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll put that, John, in the show notes for you. Yeah, there's there's some societies. There are a a few good books you'll find. Some of the more interesting ones are obviously come out of Japan. Um, So I know that that. Bonsai is kind of starting to see a little bit of a resurgence in interest Mm -hmm. and um, very, 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 very tiny plant bonsai. There are actually a couple of books. If you search, if you go on, you know, Amazon or whatever, um, you can, John, you can search, search tiny bonsai. There is one book and I have it, but it's buried over in my bookshelf. So I'll dig it out and send that to the gang after this so they can put it up as a resource but yeah there's some really niche publications on bonsai but like uber tiny bonsai excellent yes i will dig up a few resources um if they are willing to put those up on the podcast later or absolutely oh yeah yeah, absolutely Yeah, yes. yeah. Yes, I've gone through a few bonsai phases. Uh, <laughs> myself, Dallas, I'm in Dallas, Texas, and the um, Dallas Bonsai Society actually is pretty amazing. They put on a show every year, and the specimens that they bring to the show are just mind blowing. Wow. Mind blowing. Oh. Yeah. And it shows you how that tiny plants is such, you know, what everybody's perception of what is a tiny plant. Right. And so, right. That's sort of very broad. Right. So bonsai is like technically the opposite of what I'm talking about in this book, right? Because this book is plants that you don't have to manipulate to stay tiny. Whereas the art of bonsai is taking, you know, a, a large species of tree and miniaturizing it to create a replication of a natural vista on the micro scale. But now there's also now teeny tiny bonsai, right? So you can take tiny (laughs) specimens and do tiny bonsai. And I'll tell you pottery, tiny pottery, handmade pottery, which I'm obsessed with, which you will see in the book. is also having a a huge heyday right now. If you pay attention to Instagram or Etsy, and Mm -hmm. I've actually worked with a few potters. Um, I commissioned a potter here in Dallas to make a bunch of the little tiny pots I have in the book to make those for me, for my plants, oh, wow. the glazed, oh. glazed pottery that you'll see in the, oh, in yeah. the book. Yeah, oh yeah. I'm, I'm very much a supporter of, of handmade artisan goods. And that's the other cool thing that tiny plants allow you to do is, is invest in some really cool handmade pieces of pottery that are tiny and maybe not as super expensive as a, as a large pot would be. Yeah. So, um, that's fun, but yeah, there's, if you've ever been to Longwood Gardens, to the conservatory at Longwood Gardens, which is to die for, I could live in there. <laughs> they have a little bonsai collection as well. And some of theirs are really tiny bonsai chrysanthemums, which Ooh. are really cool. So okay. you should, I think they were just posting some pictures of them on their Facebook page recently. So you might want to check yeah. that out. Okay. Well, definitely um, check that out. 
Yeah. So Don has written in and he's asked a question and I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce it correctly, Don, yeah. but um, about your time in Puerto Rico, uh-huh. uh, Leslie, did you see a lot of koki frogs? Oh my gosh. Coquies. Yes. Okay. You don't see them, you hear them. Okay. So that is the national frog, you know, it's of like the Lepanthus repestris is of orchid that I talked about is only native to that region of that rainforest. The coquies are you know endemic to to that area and they are nocturnal they start to come out in the evening and they chirp like birds it's the whole forest at night blows up with the the loud and and they start to drop from the trees so it sounds like it's raining and it sounds like it's there's chirping birds chirping it's so loud that when you're embedded in the rain when you're sleeping on a cot in the rainforest um you can't sleep at first because it's so loud the cookie are so loud in the rainforest, but by oh, the wow. time I came back, I couldn't sleep without it. So I had bought a cassette tape <laughs> recording because, you know, it was the nineties. So I bought a yeah. cassette tape um, <laughs> back in the day yeah, um, yeah. of cookies of a recording of the frogs, so that I could play it at night to sleep, just like a white noise machine. Yes, Crazy. Yeah. I, yes. You turned your Sony Walkman into a white noise machine, right? Uh, Yes, (laughs) I did. Didn't didn't quite have it. We weren't to the CD Walkman player yet. We were still on the cassette player. Yes, yes. 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 No, I I put it on my boom box, actually. Oh, there you go. Okay. Um, (laughs) My Sony, I put it on my Sony 2 cassette deck, you know, boom boom box box that I use to record my mixtapes on. Oh, I love it. Yeah, (laughs) excellent. Well, that's great. Well, thanks for that question, Todd. And it must have been amazing to have you been to Puerto Rico, back to Puerto Rico? Um, Yeah, it's been a while, though. I need to, I haven't been back since since the big hurricane. Um, I would Mm -hmm. love to, though, because I'd love to go help out there. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I loved my time in Puerto Rico. I absolutely loved it there. It's such a wonderful, you know, it takes about four hours to drive from one side of this island to the other. And you have, because of the, what it's surrounded by, you have like these five really amazing, distinct, um, ecosystem regions. You know, the Northeast is rainforest. The, the Southeast is like white sand, blue Caribbean beaches. The center of the Island looks like African plains and there's bad case. It's crazy. You get to the Southwest side and there's all these cactus and succulents, but there's palm trees down on the coast. It's fascinating. Wow. It's fascinating. It's very interesting. Oh my God. Yeah. If you ever get to go to Puerto Rico, I, I recommend it. It's a really lovely, unique place. Yeah, so I've just been on the touristy side, so I haven't right. I haven't done more of an eco thing, but uh, yeah, definitely uh, uh, worth going back. Absolutely, uh, for sure. When we can travel again, yeah. <laughs> um, yes, 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 yes. Um, you do mention a bit about lighting in the book, and I know you've spoken. You know, I've heard other um, uh, uh, podcasts and stuff with you on talking about lighting, and we do have a listener that wrote in about um, a good grow light for her lemon plant. But I think just good grow lights for even whether it's the tiny plants or you know, I wouldn't think that they would be different, would they? It's a big topic. So I wrote Mm -hmm. a whole book about that called Gardening Under Lights. That one came out. So if you're talking about growing citrus indoors, that's a whole different ball game. Mm -hmm. I would recommend if anybody's interested in more intensive indoor growing, get my book Gardening Under Lights. Um, And um, I will throw out, I have had a few pretty good in-depth episodes on grow lighting and natural lighting over at the Bloom and Grow Radio podcast. So, you know, I know we all listen to each other, so hopefully it's okay that I throw that out there. Yes, yes. No, that's great. Um, So, so citrus can be really um, persnickety inside. It's a highlight crop. And so you really are not going to be able to get away with something like a 30, 40 watt LED grow light. That's not going to work. <laughs> you're really, you know, you're in that 250 watts and up. And I don't really even like to deal in watts because that's not mm-hmm. the accurate way that we talk about light, but just to sort of put it out there. So, I mean, you're yeah. really, you're really looking um, at a more intensive light setup and you can look at what I recommend in gardening under lights, but, you know, tiny plants, that's the great thing is that so much of the new smaller, lower powered led grow lights that are on the market right now are perfect for tiny plants. Mm, You can buy a a 20 watt to 30, 40 watt led bar strip, you know, under counter mount grow light, put it in a bookshelf and it'll support, you know, um, a few square feet of bunches of tiny plants, just fine. 
Now that same 20 to watt to 40 watt LED is not going to grow you tomatoes or citrus <laughs> at all, <laughs> at all. So you're really, it, it, you almost have to graduate to different lighting systems or higher powered LED rigs, which I, I go into in gardening under lights, but yeah, you know, there, there are grow lights that are in that 30 to 40 watt range that are spotlights that are marketed for that. But I think you'll find that, um, you probably need about four of those you know, you really need to get up to the hundred watt level for our grow lamp. If you've got a citrus plant that you hope to not only just get through the winter indoors, but if you want it to do anything and not drop all right. its flowers. And that's always the trick because, you know, they'll start to come into bud and flower as we get into the winter. Right. But photo period shortens day lengths mm -hmm. get shorter. That means all of our natural light quantity goes way down already right and then you move it inside under low light and what happens all those buds fall off right so which defeats yeah. the entire purpose of growing citrus so unless you're really going to amp up your your grow lighting situation indoors um any citrus that i keep indoors go into the garage garden under a minimum of 100 watts and up of high intensity discharge lighting Okay. So, yeah. Excellent. So you might need a, you might need a, a, a T5 fluorescent fixture that holds eight grow bars. So eight 45 watt LEDs and you use those high output T5 retrofit LED bars that you can pop into that fluorescent fixture. And that's what you're going to have to have for that citrus tree. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. So, well, yeah. it's good to know that you've written a book, um, gardening under lights, and we'll definitely mm -hmm. link to that in our show notes as well. Because that is a huge, that's a whole show, right? It, it's, that's, yeah, that goes way beyond. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. right. That's yeah. right. So we're, we're, uh, we're excited to, you know, and just learning more about tiny plants. I think it is unique. And I think, uh, I think we're excited to learn more about that, aren't we? That's right. Um, as we get into that, we do have a few listener questions. Sure, go for it. Uh, jumbling up. Did we, oh. Are you sure? I mean, I just think we'd focus on because I think Leslie, you've done a lot of things, and we're having people ask a lot of different questions of, oh, that's of fine. your of your back. Yeah, yeah. So well, I'm yeah, fine. So yeah, okay. ask away. Okay. Whatever they yeah. want to ask about is totally fine. Okay. Excellent. Okay. All right. I, I just saw one. Um oh wow, where was it here? No, I've I've lost it here. Just um Andy was writing in, uh, just wondering. Uh he says, Hello all, wow, great guests, so much experience. Any general tips for indoor plants? Uh, during this fall and winter season. I usually do well with my plants outdoors, but as soon mm -hmm. as I can bring them inside, I get all kinds of issues. Yes. I thought this question maybe led in uh, to your other book. Um, sorry, and I'm going to totally plant parenting. Plant parenting, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I always well, want to say plant dad. Yeah, yeah. So, plant, <laughs> so my that book came out in between Gardening Underlates and Tiny Plants, Plant Parenting. Plant parenting is mostly about propagation. So plant oh, parenting, okay. you're having ah. some plant babies, right? Okay. So this is how we make plant babies. That's what plant <laughs> parenting. But there's plant care in there. In, in all three of my books, there are sections of environmental control and plant care. So I cover a lot of ground between all three books, sort of depending on what the focus of the book is. In Tiny Plants, there's a pretty hefty chapter two is on caring for your plants. And there are definitely certain ways that you're going to manage tiny plants a little differently, but all of that information that I give you about water quality, humidity, lighting, and tiny plants is applicable to any of your house plants. The biggest challenges that people face when they bring their plants indoors, I mean, there's a lot of them, but I'm going to boil it down to two things, and that's going to be low light levels, which is really the thing that's causing most people the biggest problems. They just don't realize it. They mm -hmm. think they're overwatering, but they're overwatering because the light quantity is so much less that that plant, plant can't photosynthesize at the same rate and it can't use all that water. So low light is, is an issue and um, low humidity. So, you know, you kick on those heaters, right? It takes a lot more water vapor to get to that humidity percentage because warm air holds a lot more water vapor than cool air does. So it can be a lot more work to increase your humidity. Um, so that leads to a lot of pest problems. So a lot of times you have pest outbreaks, thrips, 
Um, I just noted thrips breaking out on one of my philodendrons. Why? Because I told you earlier, I'm lazy and I haven't <laughs> watered it in forever. And so that low humidity now that's happening has started to trigger pest issues, spider mites and thrips will, you know, become a problem. So the number one recommendation I'm always going to give you when you bring a bunch of houseplants inside is do you have enough light to maintain them inside? I'm going to go tell you to get a few grow lights. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to brand endorse anything, but what I will say to you is if you've got some fixtures in the house, some light fixtures or lamps you want to use, um, there's lots of different lights you can look at, but maybe check out the, uh, 30, I think they're 36 Watts, 32 watt or 36 watt GE, um, uh, E 26 base grow bulbs that can go into, um, any light fixture. Those are, those are pretty good. Those are, and they're pretty good. Um, you get pretty good output for your money on those. So that's just a place to start. And then there's lots of great under mount lights. Mod Sprout's got a great little LED strip, um, that's dimmable and has a great little app that goes with it. So that one's cool. Soltech has really lovely aesthetically, um, uh, designed plug and play built-in spotlights that are in that 20 to 40 watt range. So if you've got a group of floor plants or smaller plants you want to maintain, you can hang those. So I would suggest looking into some grow lights because that's really going to be your biggest problem solver is increasing your light levels indoors in the winter. And that's going to help you manage your water a little bit better. If your humidity is really low in the house, you can try using a humidifier, um, okay. sort of a, a cool mist, um, um, filtered, uh, humidifier grouping your plants together helps increase humidity too around them as they transpire. So you can group them. So there's lots of stuff we could get into, but mm -hmm. I'm going to say light, light is usually increasing your light quantity is usually your best bet. Okay, excellent. Um, and the increasing, uh, we often say about putting the plants like maybe on like a, a boot tray with some pebbles, you know, that helps with humidity. But I know you were saying in your book, I read about that. It really doesn't. Too. It yeah, really doesn't. It, it really doesn't. Um, yeah, it really, it really doesn't meaningfully change the humidity level okay. around your plants. So, I mean, it's certainly something anecdotally, if you feel mm. you, if, it, if you feel it helps you go for it, <laughs> um, just make sure you're not breeding mosquitoes or anything like that. Like here in mm -hmm. Texas, you know, if you've got standing water anywhere, I, I breed mosquitoes indoors in the winter. There's a whole uh, outbreak of mosquitoes oh. in my orchidarium right now, because I use rainwater and I forgot to put my mosquito uh, bits into my rain barrel fast yes. enough. Okay. <laughs> so you could also have mosquitoes in the winter. Yes. Yeah. Not here, but that's okay. <laughs> Self-watering pots, gravel water trays. So depending on where you are, that, that can be another fun little mm -hmm. issue you create for yourself. That's right. That's right. I thought it was fascinating. And I, about when you did speaking of rainwater that you did recommend, um, cause I'm thinking about all the buckets of things I dump yes. out outside and I don't bring in to water my plants. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Uh, when you talked about feet, you know, watering your plants with indoor plants with rainwater. Yeah. In fact, um, most of my houseplants indoors get rainwater and especially my sensitive tiny plants and many plants like carnivorous plants, you really must water with rainwater. Mm -hmm. Um, essentially rainwater is naturally distilled water. If you think about it, it, it comes up, you know, it comes to be via evaporation, right. Which is essentially distilling it as it leaves particles behind you get distilled water. Um, so certainly you can have other things in rainwater, maybe fungal spores or things like that. So I don't recommend using rainwater if you're germinating and growing seeds, right? That's okay. probably not a, a good thing to do, but rainwater is fabulous for your houseplants. You know, tap water can have some good things, but it can also have a lot of bad things. And it just depends on where you are and what's in your tap water. You can have a lot of salt buildup. You can have chlorine, you can have chloramine, you know, there's lots of stuff. So you don't have to worry about that in your rainwater. Um, so that's primarily what I use, but yes. And it's a great way to, to use your collected rainwater. I have a big roof. I have eight giant rain barrels. And so it's great wow. to be able to use all of that for my houseplants. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's good. Cause yeah, Matt with it, like our season's long enough that we can do that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you can collect it, um, certainly, um, I use it for, you know, outdoor patio pots, right. Because they're mm -hmm. close to the rain barrels anyway. 
And then I just, um, I'll store up a few jugs or, or old wine bottles or whatever it is I have. And, um, I'll keep a few of those in the house and, you know, as long as I've remembered to put my mosquito, my BT, my bacillus thuringiensis bits okay, into my rain yep. barrels down here, <laughs> then I don't bring mosquito larvae inside. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Believe it or not, that is an issue, um, depending on where you live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just going to jump in. Um, it's a little late in the show, but we, we do normally do it. And it does sound like we've got some new listeners uh, quickly joining us. So for those who are joining us, uh, I just want to say thanks for joining us here live on Reality Radio 101. I'm Matthew Dressing here with my co-host Joanne Shaw, and you're listening to Down the Garden Path. Joanne and I enjoy hosting Down the Garden Path each week bringing you interesting and relevant topics to help you achieve a great garden. We learn right along with you from our research and from the wonderful guests that join us on the show, like our lovely guest, Leslie Halleck of Halleck Horticulture. Uh, she is joining us here this evening to talk about her latest book, Tiny Plants, and all the wonderful plants that you can grow miniaturized indoors, filled with lots and lots of tips. Uh, to uh, get you growing. So don't forget, you can spend more time with us down the garden path. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at, at down the garden path podcast. You can also find us on your favorite podcast provider. And while you're there, please hit that subscribe button to be notified of new content. And please don't forget to like, share and leave us a comment. We love hearing where you are from. So you can always write us off the air at instudio 101 at gmail.com, or you can find us via our websites, uh, www.downthenumber2earth.ca, as well as myself at www.naturalaffinity.ca. As we reach the last 15 minutes uh, of the show, thanks again, Leslie, for joining us here. Um, we wanted to talk to you uh, about your garden um, society, the Garden oh. Society Project. Yeah. So, you know, I like to keep lots of different pots stirring all the time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like we've mentioned, I, I do a number of radio and podcast interviews about lots of different topics and, uh, Maria five Lumen grow radio, you know, I've done a bunch of um, episodes with her and we really liked working together. And we thought, you know, she's such a dynamic community presence and I'm just a plant geek nerd who wants to teach horticulture. So we thought, wouldn't it be great if we created a space online, kind of like an old school plant society, you know, where you get to come and make plant friends and exchange information and get really in-depth lectures from experts and be able to, you know, show your plants. We thought, why don't we create something like that? virtually. And then I can have a dedicated classroom where I can really teach in-depth horticulture. I teach, um, an indoor plants course I developed for UCLA extension. And that actually is going to be starting up in on January 4th. They just opened enrollment today. So UCLA extension, I am a horticulture instructor there, but you know, not everybody has the ability to enroll in university sort of for mm -hmm. extension level coursework. So what we're going to be doing in the bloom and grow garden society is it's a platform and an app that Maria had already launched called the bloom and grow, um, garden party. And this is sort of an upgraded, member area within that space where I'm going to be the horticulturist in residence and I'm going to be teaching in depth the science behind what's going on with your plants, whether it's indoor or outdoor plant and gardening topics every month doing one-on-one -on -one age AHAs kind of like ask me anything, but ask the horticulturist anything, a lot of community engagement. So, um, yeah, if you're looking for access to really sort of higher level horticulture instruction, in classes, this is the space where you're going to be able to do that. And so probably the easiest way, if you don't mind me throwing it out to guide people there would be join the garden society.com. Okay. Type that in join the garden society.com, or you can go to the bloom and grow radio.com website. There's a community page there. If you click on the community page there, you'll be able to find it. And I'll send you those links so you can put them up. So if you're kind of really wanting to take a lot more in-depth classes, um, the first class that I have coming up is going to be the science of plant dormancy. Because as we go into the winter, 
you know, plants do a lot of interesting things that we might not understand why both indoor and out. So we're going to really dive into a lot of really in-depth horticulture topics that I don't, you know, unless I have a platform like this, Mm -hmm. you know, people don't have access to take those kind of classes. So we're really excited. It's an innovative space. Nothing exists like it right now. So we're, we're excited to be able to work together on that. So if, if, yeah, if, if you're looking for, and it's off social media, right, right. <laughs> but it's still virtual, media. which, which I think is yes. great. Right. And I yes. think that's one thing that we've all adapted to learning, uh, like so many more opportunities to learn outside of your community and, and, uh, and learn from new um, and experienced teachers and professors. So, um, you know, and horticulturalists in our, in our uh, frame. So I think that's mm-hmm. wonderful that you've, and across borders too, right? Correct. So you don't have to be in Texas. You don't have nope. to be in the U.S., you know? So I think that's exciting. So it's, yeah. it's a wonderful project to start. Yeah, it's, and it's yeah. open to, yeah, it's open, it's open globally. And the cool thing is, so every month I'm going to be teaching at least one, we call them node of knowledge, nodes of knowledge, an okay. in-depth lecture that's going to get recorded. That video is going to live forever in that platform as, as well as the AHAs and the other interactions. So as long as somebody's a member, they can watch those classes as many times as they want. And so it's cumulative, right? That content's mm-hmm. going to build up. And so it's a really great way, you know, instead of, you know, taking 5 million YouTube videos or, you know, a one-off plant course, this is going to be mm-hmm. cumulative. And I'm going to cover a lot of ground on a lot of different topics. And, you know, with that, you get your plant friends, you get your plant society friends and your community and all of us interacting and essentially access to a horticultural consultant, which you know how this goes. You can't do that for everybody, you know, right. on social media. You <laughs> yeah. can't spread yeah. yourself that thin. So it's yeah. a kind of a really cool space to be able, it's a win-win for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's um uh you know as a professional, I need a space in which I can can work, right? It professionally mm-hmm. um be supported that way. But in a space where I can be supported that way, I can really deliver high quality education versus just, you know, crumbs right. all over social media. Yeah. You know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And the fact that it now you, is not only an education, but you're, it's a resource too, yes. if it's, if it's something that's going to, you're going to build on it. So I think Correct. that's a great opportunity. So yeah. So for our listeners, they can check out more by uh, clicking join the garden society.com. And again, we will have all that in our show awesome. notes. Awesome. Thanks. So that is great. Um, we do have someone asking about your tiny plant book. Sure. So she says, where can they buy it? And do you autograph any? Sure. So you can go to any online book retailer. You can go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you know, um, you know, Amazon Canada, Amazon mm-hmm. Australia, wherever, you know, it's in all of it's, it's available online um, everywhere in bookstores, ask for it. Um, if you want autograph copies from me personalized, you can go to my shop at lesliehallock.com. And so I do directly retail my books. And so if you, if you want a signed copy, I'm happy to do that. You can click on my shop at lesliehallock.com and all right there for you. Perfect. Perfect. So that's great. Um, and we will have, cause you've written a few books, so we will have those listed in our show notes as You're well. Very generous. I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> well, it's good though, because it's all interrelated, you know? So I think that's, what's, what's great about your experience and in the industry is, you know, that, um, you know, it's not just lighting focused or it's not just, you know, it's, you, you there, it's all connected for plants, right? We want to know lighting. We want to know how um, things like the water and the humidity, humidity, as well as the different plant varieties. I know in the book, you, you do highlight some really great um, commonly known plant varieties, but some I didn't know came as tiny plants, Mm -hmm. like the tiny um, prayer, prayer plant. Yeah. The tiny Maranta, right. I know that's one of my most precious uh, (laughs) plants. Yeah. And baby tears. I was excited about that Mm -hmm. too. So I've, so it's been great to look at plants that I know of, you know, in quotation marks, but just to see them in a different, right, Matt, like to see them from a different perspective. I think our our listeners and and other people that want to pick up the book, will we'll, we'll find that out as well. Well, and I think, you know, we're heading in, I can't believe I'm saying this because it was just Halloween. We're heading into the holidays already. And I, um, you know, I get a little overwhelmed by the, the stuff of the holidays. And I really like to, I like to gift plants. I like to propagate 
my own and gift. And I just, yeah. I wrote a piece. There's a magazine called Taproot Magazine and their December issue. I'll have a whole piece about green gifting, you know, propagating your own plants and gifting, you know, that way. And Ooh. it's really easy to do with tiny plants, right? Because everything is small. Every, the scale is smaller. So being able to, to propagate or gift, you know, tiny plants is really fun. Or if you, if you wanted to do a little terrarium or a really cool vessel, you know, something um, with a small species makes a really kind of cute gift. So, you know, there, I think coming up on that, I think everybody's looking for ways to be, to nurture and be nurtured, right? We all are, you know, need, some positivity and, mm -hmm. and positive things to focus on and plants, um, engaging with plants and gardens is such a nurturing, a necessary nurturing experience that, you know, I'm a multifaceted horticulturist and an intensive outdoor gardener, but because my master's degree is in floriculture, greenhouse production, you know, all of, you know, that these are the books that the publishers have wanted me to write. So all of my right. books have sort of ended up being in the indoor realm, mm -hmm. but certainly, you know, all of the basic concepts that I teach, you know, apply across the board, like you say to plants all over, but, you know, I think that, um, heading into winter, you know, gosh, we get to, it's almost, it's going to be seed starting time and it's a great mm -hmm. propagating time. And it's the perfect time. If you've got those glass vessels sitting around the house or, you know, you want an excuse to get some more, um, <laughs> I'm happy to enable you both in your plant collecting obsession and your vintage wear. Yeah. Uh, a collecting obsession. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, I'm excited about those shoe boxes, you know, because I, I have no need to buy them for fancy shoes, but I'll buy them for plants. So well, I know great. I'm always laughing at myself when I buy yeah. them. I'm like, if only these people knew that I was not putting fancy shoes in these boxes, that I was Seriously? <laughs> putting oh my plants gosh. and cuttings and yeah. yeah. So yeah. you can improvise. You don't have to get mm -hmm. fancy. You don't have to buy a big, expensive glass aquarium or tank, you know, that you can repurpose all That's right. sorts of clear glassware and, and, and acrylic vessels to mm -hmm. house your tiny plants. Yeah. And Matt and I usually do a show closer to the holidays, all about gifting, like gardening gift Perfect. ideas and plant gift ideas. Cause that is, it is, I think, cause people are, you know, there is a whole movement on minimalism and less um, mm -hmm. clutter and that kind of thing. So I think gifting someone something, you know, or there's the people who want to have something that they, you know, more practical, but you know, a house plant is not frivolous. It's, it's, it's practical, right? We love house plants. And I, well, uh, I, I kind of think, like I said, I think that nurturing, um, aspect, um, with plants and really bringing some nature inside. I mean, I mm -hmm. think, um, yeah. I think we could all benefit from a little health and wellness boost these days mm -hmm. <laughs> with the way things are in the world. And, yeah. you know, that's one of the reasons I'm so happy to be a horticulturist is I feel like I can feel pretty good about the things I encourage people to do, which is garden, grow plants, grow mm -hmm. your wellness. I mean, I, I think I don't have to feel, feel too guilty about my profession, right? I can feel pretty good <laughs> about pushing plants on people. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And yes. educating them, you know, Matt and I feel the same. That's why we love doing this show because we love teaching people, um, regardless of the topic, we love breaking it down. So it makes it easy for everyone that, um, you know, it, it can be easy. It can be low maintenance and, uh, and everybody can learn. So but you know what? I'm never going to turn down a challenge either. And I think there's ah. lots of plant parents out there that are willing to take on a challenge. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's, um, I do go into that territory a little bit in tiny plants. So, and you know what, you know, this as a professional, um, you never learn how to really grow a plant until you've killed it a bunch of times. So, yes. um, I've killed, I always tell, you know, everybody that I talk to, I've killed way more plants collectively than you ever will in mm -hmm. your life. Cause it's my job. You'll never catch yeah. up to me. So it's okay. <laughs> try and try again. That's the great thing about plants and gardens is it's not static and you can always grow more. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You had, I was going to find the, yeah. I mean that we've same indoor, outdoor, there's lots of plants we've killed. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and also because we're in the industry and we, uh, we, um, we kind of don't have time to look after our own plants, right. Cause we're too busy right. looking after <laughs> or, everybody else's or, plants. You know, um, um, trialing plants is part of your job. So seeing which ones you can kill is actually part of your job. So that was that's a big right. part of my career. Right. So yeah, I know all about that. So that's the thing I always say is don't get discouraged. Um, I've killed lots of the plants that are in these books, 
you know, di at different points in time over repeatedly. And it just takes experience to figure it out, you know, to, to get yeah. it right. So that's the great, that's the great thing about, about growing. Oh, excellent. Well, we, I can't, time always flies. When I know. We're here. It's incredible. So we want to thank you so much for joining us and sharing this book with us. So once again, everybody, uh, Leslie Halleck, and it's called Tiny Plants. I'm, I'm lifting it up as if people can see it. But yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so <laughs> thank you very much, Matt. Yes. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in here uh, as we talk to Leslie Halleck and her uh, greatest, latest book, Tiny Plants. Go out and buy it now uh, and tune in next week. As, uh, we are joined by Jen Johnson, and we're going to talk about her book, uh, Floratopia. Thanks again for tuning in here. Uh, thank you again, Leslie, for joining us. And uh, we look forward to talking with you next week here on Reality Radio 101 on Down the Garden Path. Peace. Thank you for listening to Down the Garden Path with your host, Joanne Shaw and Matthew Dressing right here on Reality Radio 101.